Hello, everyone. It's John Otterstead and Bobby Darren for the Scarlet Nation podcast. Today, we're going to do another roundtable rundown, which is where we look down the roundtable, which is our premium message board on scarletnation.com, see what the fans are talking about, see which articles Bobby and our staff are writing, and just look a little bit deeper into each one. So, Bobby, I'm getting ready here. And how are you doing? Very good. Thank you. I am super excited. I have not really been able to make it down to Rockers much this year and with my children running wild and playing sports, all three of them. So I always rely on you to give me the insight on how things are going. And I know I annoy you with my <laughs> constant phone calls. So I think this podcast is my opportunity to quote unquote officially ask you the questions that I'd normally be calling you at inconvenient times asking you. So I have an entire list and I'm excited. So let's begin. Uh, in our latest newsletter, for those of you who don't know, we have a newsletter that we send out every week. Just head to the front page of the website and you'll see a link to sign up for it. But in in that newsletter, we have a section called Inside Bobby's Brain. And in that, you talk about the the feel of practice this year compared to last year. And I, I found that interesting. And I'm going to angle it to years back even further in a moment. But let's just start off by talking about that a little bit. What's the general vibe, and how would you compare that to last year? Well, I think it's a lot deeper team this year. Uh, the coaches are more familiar with everything. It's not a first-time endeavor for this coaching staff. So I, I think you see a lot more talent on the field. You see a lot more uh, direction in terms of, of where they want to go with this team. Ash is putting more of his stamp on this team. And, and you just really see it on the field showing up in a little bit more depth. There's more playmakers. So so I think that generates a little more excitement. I think the staff knew last year they were going in uh, almost like playing with a broken wing. So this year, that seems to be mended quite a bit. And you can see the difference in, in the performance and the energy in the early going. Now, when you say that things are looking up, looking up as in a win or two more, looking up as in maybe this could be a surprise team. What do you think? I know it's early, but I had to ask that. Well, things are definitely going to be better than they were last year. Uh, there's more playmakers, like I said, more depth. So uh, I, the staff is being careful not to, you know, put the guys in too many situations where the, the injuries might occur and they might lose some of that depth before the season. But I really think you'll see a better product. How that translates into wins and losses, that remains to be seen. But I think some of those games last year where they, they were playing against the, the Maryland's and the, the Indiana's, those games are going to have a different look and feel to it. Now, they still have a ways to go to you know, contend with Ohio State through four quarters. But I think you'll see definite progress this year. I always find it fascinating comparing one regime to the next, and you people probably are sick of hearing me talk about Shiano, but I was I was a fan. I admit it. And when you bring up these topics, comparing one season to the next, and it makes me instantly think of how perhaps one training uh, season went from one to the next, and how each coach's style was different, how practices were run differently. So let's go back a little bit. Paint a picture for me of a Shiano practice during the summer heading into a season? Well, I think the biggest noticeable difference is the conditioning work 
back when Shiano was there, a lot of the conditioning was done during camp. At the end of camp, they would always run gassers. It was an enjoyable part to watch as a media member because Shiano was pretty entertaining the way he used to yell at people and, and really run them through the, you know, a rigorous workout at the end. I remember one year he ran 23 or so gassers on the last practice and actually threw a guy out of the stadium because he wasn't running hard enough in the final practice of the summer. Now you see more of the conditioning beforehand so they can basically just work on football and not tire the guys out too much. So camp has a different feel in that you don't see many of the exhausted players walking off the field ready to just roll over and pass out the same way that they used to. Um, so I think camp in general has changed from that perspective a little bit more. And, and camp uh, is a little more detailed than when Flood was in there. Um, I think there's more attention to detail on certain things. Although Flood's camps tried to emulate uh, Shiano's camps, and then there was the change in the, the conditioning, how the conditioning is done beforehand in, in the couple months before uh, camp even begins. And I think that's a trend that you see across the nation as well. But the the days of the Shiano training camp, two-a-day grinds where he runs them to the point where their their legs feel like they're going to fall off, I think those that's the, the biggest contrast that I can see from a, a sideline perspective. I remember this one time we were watching a practice back in the Shiano days, and there was a player from uh, Patterson Catholic, which is no longer a school anymore, and he got in trouble. He was in the doghouse for something, and I remember him pushing a golf cart around the field, around and around and around again. Do you remember that day? And you remember who that was? And it um, wasn't Al Gafar Lane. The, I don't oh, remember man. that exact person. I can remember Glenn Lee pushing a, um, a golf cart around and quite a few guys having to run around like that, some big linemen. Uh, there were a lot of guys that had punishments. They actually have a, had a sand pit up by the old practice field, and sometimes he would make the people uh, – I don't even know what you would call them, army crawls on your stomach through the through the sand pit for the better part of the practice and, and the guys. <laughs> for the better part of the practice. I mean, they would be in there for quite a bit. You'd see them, you know, and, and that really knew they were in the doghouse when, when they came out. And I mean, they're covered in sand and it's 100 degrees out. And he was definitely a disciplinarian. Well, let's continue with this line of questioning for a moment. When you were watching a practice and you saw Shiano, when you're watching Flood, when you're watching Ash, can you talk about just the subtle differences between how they'd carry themselves at a practice and perhaps just the role that they play overall? Uh, you know, they play that that head coach overseeing role. I mean, there's more accountability now. One thing I noticed between the flood and the Seattle practices, if somebody did something that, you know, for example, if they took someone to the ground on a thud tempo when you're just supposed to, you know, kind of pop them and not take them to the ground, uh, you know, Shiano, if you did that, he would be in your face. You'd be running. Flood kind of just turned the other way. And I think you're seeing more of the accountability factor come back with Ash and the attention to detail in that regard. He doesn't have the same uh, exact coaching style as, as Greg Shiano did, but I, I would say he aligns more with him than he did with Flood, which is a All good right. thing. All right. Now let's get to the players. Probably subtle differences, but can you see any differences between how the players perhaps approach the practice, perhaps how they approach those times in between practice sessions when they're just casually walking around with one another between the three regimes? Well, I think one of the things that the discipline during the flood one, he relied on a lot of the seniors to, to, to do that. And I don't think part of it's his fault because when he walked in, he inherited a team. And I mentioned this before, it was laid in with seniors with Kasim Green, Scott Valone, Steve Baharness, and those guys. And they kind of policed themselves. So I think Flood kind of got used to that and put the onus on some of the seniors, maybe a little more than he should have, but he was used to it when he came in. 
And, uh, you know, now the coaches take a much more uh, visible role in that. Uh, also, the, the accountability has been raised. I mean, it's obvious what happened with the discipline in the previous regime. I'm not going to go into detail about all that, but you see a higher level of accountability and you see a lot more competition in, in everything. And that's part of what Chris Ash brought over from the Urban Meyer coaching tree. And a lot of the other Urban Meyer, uh, you know, coaching protégés have done the same thing. It, it just create competition in every form, uh, trying to make them better as a whole, you know, on and off the field throughout the year. That's what his uh, Chris Ash's Champions Club is kind of all about. It's, you know, rewarding guys for excelling and, and thriving in competition. It looks to me, and this is watching videos and watching the uh, Snapchat videos and obviously talking to you and others too, that the players are having, they're working hard, but it seems like they're having a lot of fun and building some camaraderie as they're doing it. Yeah, I think Chris Ashbrink's a nice mix. You had Greg Schiato, who was more militant in nature. Guys were afraid almost to have a good time. I don't want to speak for them, but you, you know, you almost had to walk on eggshells sometimes. And then you had Flood, who was really laxed, and it was too much of a good time. So I think Ash is kind of trying to bring a happy median in there where there's a mix of you know, discipline and, and accountability and, and also having fun because let's face it, it's a game these kids are, are playing, you know, just for a few years in their lives and, and it should be a certain amount of enjoyment to it. But I think he brings a nice mesh of that. Well, last week when we were talking, we talked about the linebackers and the big news coming out last week was Tyreek Maddox Williams, his injury and that he won't be playing this year. And so we focused in the podcast on the freshmen and discussed three in particular who we thought would might have an impact this year. But I wanted to get take a jump forward and just talk about the players who should be seeing the field as starters this year, at least who heading into the summer session were penciled in that way. Um, and so we're going to focus on Trevor Morris, Deontay Roberts, and Ross Douglas. And I just want to get your thought on each of them and perhaps, you know, take the conversation wherever it may by trying to kind of dig into that linebacker position. So let's start with Trevor Morris. Bobby, what can you tell me about him? You know, uh, Trevor has a lot of talent. Uh, last year, didn't see him as a, at 100% all year. He, he's playing injured. And I think this year he has a chance to be, uh, you know, a really, uh, really decent player. Uh, I was talking to all of them earlier. Now you said week. injured last year, but he also was leading tackler from a year ago. Right, but he wasn't 100% in all those yeah, games. Yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive, though. And, you know, he was walking around. He'd walk around a lot of during the week with a boot on his foot. So he had to play out of necessity. And that's, that's one thing we talked about, the lack of depth. I, I think seeing him healthy this year and having a year starting under his belt, I, I'm curious to see how much he has improved and see what the healthy version looks like. I talked to him earlier this week. He said he felt great and, you know, and, and everything is full systems go. So uh, I'm, I'm very um, curious to see him and how Deontay Roberts fares. He's a, a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger than last year, a little bit wiser even. He'll tell you that um, playing the middle linebacker position, there's, there's a lot that comes with it. And he had 95 tackles last year, and, and I asked him that again uh, this week, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm not happy with how I performed at all. He watched, and, and he said, you know, I didn't have enough tackles for loss. I'm trying to use my hands better, get get to the quarterback. And, and he's really taken it under his uh, – he's taken initiative to really improve his overall game. And I'm curious to see how those players play because last year, you know, the defense – it didn't have the best performance. Those guys had a lot of tackles, but both of them know that some of those tackles, you know, weren't the 
you know, they weren't TFLs. They weren't at the line of scrimmage. They were a little further downfield than they would have liked. So I'm, I'm curious to see how they play. And with Ross Douglas as the third one, it seems like they're transitioning to kind of a safety linebacker hybrid type guy. He's 205 pounds and uh, playing a lot of coverage. I think that's, that, that's going to be a bit of a changing role in that traditional Sam linebacker position that you'll see. Uh, they, they like his versatility from that position. So I'm curious to see how all three of them perform during the season because it's really going to be a different group. Even though you have two of the same starters, you have two starters that are now seasoned, completely healthy, and, and have some experience under their belt. So uh, I'm interested to see how they fare uh, through the first few games. Now, Ross Douglas, he interests me. He's a redshirt senior, five foot ten, two hundred five pounds. Uh, Michigan transfer, played in ten games last year, and he's been all over the place on the field since coming to Michigan as a freshman. He's been running back, cornerback, safety. Perhaps I missed something else. Is his move to the linebacker position for Rutgers due to the coaching staff seeing some type of potential in him, or is it more due to the fact that they're weak at the position and need to bring in some you know some help from outside well the move was made right before the start of spring practice and Tyreek Maddox Williams was out for then for a separate injury so they've needed someone to step in they had some linebackers but really didn't feel comfortable with a lot of them and this is kind of a whole new role for Ross Uh, I think they tried it out and they start to like what they see now I thought Tyreek Maddox Williams would have started the season had he not gotten hurt but Ross is in that role now, and we'll see if any of the freshmen challenge him. But for now, you know, he seems to be progressing. But like I said, it's a different role, and I'm also curious to see how that role plays out in the games during the season and, and compared to years past. Because if you remember, uh, Quentin Gauze played the Sam position for a couple of years, did very well, but it was an entirely different position. He was more of a, a run guy, and Quentin was a guy who had to work on his pass coverage over the years and, and actually did, and, you know, still in camp with the Broncos now. But uh, I'm curious to see how those roles have changed and, and if you'll see, you know, a lot more transition to more three, four sets on defense. I, I think there'll be a bit of a changed look this year. What do you think the outlook is for the position group this year? Uh, linebacker? Yep. Um, like I said, I think it should be better than last year, and I'm curious to, to see the progression. That's one thing with the coaching staff. You know, they bring players in, but how do they develop the players? How do these guys perform from their first year as a starter to a junior all of a sudden in Deontay Roberts and Trevor Morris? How well they develop is going to tell me how well the coaches are doing from a developmental standpoint. So I think you look at them, you say that you got some talent there, and, and how much – is are this is this coaching staff able to elevate that talent? That's a great example of how this staff is doing uh, in a developmental level. Now, are you concerned that when we get beyond these three gentlemen, the talk turns immediately to freshmen? Yeah, and, and you know everybody's talking about the freshmen. I mean, you have a lot of older guys at the at the linebacker position, and. All the freshmen come in, the big excitement, and you know it's the, and even the, the 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 veterans are excited to have those guys in their energy, um, but they're still freshmen. So let's not put the you know what do they say put the cart before the bull. Is that the old adage? Um, I know the cart before the horse. I don't cart know. Cart before the horse. I don't know. You know, I'm I'm singing nursery rhymes to my daughter and screwing them up. So, um, but <laughs> nevertheless, um, they're freshmen. So I think they want to bring them along, especially at the linebacker position. You have so much mental stuff going on that you just can't go out and play fast like you would at a wide receiver position. So I, I think they'll bring them along slowly, but by midseason, it, it'll be interesting to see which which freshman linebackers really start to take off and, and you know pick things up quickly. 
Now, we're going to take a step away from football for a moment, and I hope people don't get too mad. Last week on the message board, someone said, John, if you're going to talk about basketball, can you let us know exactly what time you're going to start talking about it, what time it ends, so I can fast forward, Um, which I'm surprised because I think you should support your Scarlet Knights no matter what. But this this, uh, Nick Suriano issue is interested in me. For those who don't know, he is one of the top high school wrestlers of all time in New Jersey. He was one of the high school top high school wrestlers because he is currently a uh, just finishing his freshman year in college or heading into his sophomore year. But back at Bergen Catholic, he was undefeated, 159-0 in his high school career, four state championships. Last year, he wrestled at Penn State, was, uh, I've seen different things, 16-3 and as a freshman. Uh, two of those losses, I believe, were some type of injury default. So I saw someone else write 16-1. and uh, Whatever it was, he did really, really well. Uh, considered one of the top wrestlers in the country at his age, uh, for his weight class. And he wants to leave Penn State. And he would like to come to Rutgers. And he was granted his release to come to Rutgers, but not the release, from what I understand, to come to Rutgers and wrestle immediately. And therein lies the issue that everyone's debating on the roundtable right now. Should Penn State give him that waiver or give the blessing for the NCAA to give him that waiver to wrestle at Rutgers immediately? So, Bobby, obviously, I know you you love Scott Goodale. Um, you enjoy following his team and, uh, you know, have been to a bunch of the matches. Do you think that he should get that waiver right away? You know, uh, it's it's a matter of in wrestling. I had to really understand the different rules because it's, it's really different between wrestling and, and, and football. And what uh, what it is is, you know, he'll lose it. He could have all three years of eligibility if Penn State okays it. If they don't, he'll probably just have two years of eligibility. From what I'm hearing now, the Penn State – And those are two years of eligibility after he sits this year. No, no, he doesn't have to sit. He can wrestle. He just loses the year of eligibility. Oh, is that how it works? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and um, so Penn State was blocking that. Now I'm hearing things are trending the other way, and the the coach is going to release him. Now, in wrestling, it's kind of frowned upon if he doesn't. Um, plus, Penn State wins, you know, they're the top team every year. Losing a guy like that, they're still going to be the top team. Um, I don't know if the coach is trying to set a precedent or whatnot, but it seems like he might grant him that um, that waiver now, and and Suriano will be able to wrestle right away. He wants to come to Rutgers, and I think it's just a matter of time before it's official. It's just a question of how many years is he going to get. And this this is a kid who's you know five star across the board who will probably win. You know the the, the biggest question might be with those eligibility years: is he going to win two national championships or three? Um, that seems to be the consensus. Uh, the kid is just that good, and it, it'll really elevate the Rutgers program because it'll give them another really, you know, solid guy in, the, in that lineup. And uh, I think they could be in for big things this year. Um, but it, it's it's a great thing for Rutgers wrestling, and, and Scott Goodell has bro- built that program from the ground up. Just done a tremendous job, and uh, it's really exciting news for. Uh, Rutgers fans, wrestling fans in general, um, to get what is considered one of the best wrestlers in the entire country. Now, Jay Billis, ESPN commentator, he even chimed in on Twitter, and this is what he said. And there's a lot of quotation marks and exclamation points and capital words in here, so I can't really express it the way that he did. But anyway, he wrote, this student athlete is a wrestler. Let the unpaid amateur student go to the school where he wants. Don't stand in his way. And that got 750 retweets and uh, a whole bunch of likes. So people are talking about it on the message board. They're talking about it. And 
I, I found it interesting. One guy, Rutgers uh, CC, that's his nickname on this roundtable message board. He said, got to play advocate here, guys. I guess devil's advocate. If one of our best guys wants to transfer to PSU next year, you'd want him held out. I mean, don't get me wrong. F Penn State. But I can see where they're coming <laughs> from. And there was a guy, MSRU, disagree. He said, I disagree wholeheartedly. Um, Ridge 22 disagreed too. Um I have to admit, and someone's going to yell at me on the message board, I see what Rutgers CC is saying. You have to put yourself in the other side's shoes. And people say, well, it's not a revenue sport. I'm not quite sure why that makes a difference. But for me, if you told me that Penn State was taking Rutgers, one of the Rutgers top players, participants in anything, I would cry foul. I'd say the coach was you know, a scumbag, whatever all the other fans would be, you know that that's what the fans would be saying. You know that that's what the, what the sentiment would be. But when it's coming to this direction, people are okay with it. They're saying, come on, let the kid go where he wants. It's for the child. <laughs> you know, I think there's two things to consider in that. First, wrestling, is it's a different sport. Uh, but, the transfers- but why? why does that make it different? It's just looked upon differently. If kids want to transfer, the, the, the coaches generally don't stand in their way the same way. And second of all, Penn State is still going to compete for a national championship with or without Soriano. If Rutgers was to lose a Nick Soriano, it would hurt them significantly more. I think the point is it's not going to hurt Penn State. They're still going to be in a national championship. They're still going to be the top team in the country. Uh, if Rutgers lost a Nick Soriano, it would impact it impact the team a little bit more than it would Penn State so I think considering those two things uh you know I, I think things are trending towards that direction where he will get the the waiver and and the three years of eligibility it's just I think it's just a different sport and a different mentality when it comes to those transfers and blocking them and and whatnot well if he's coming to Rutgers I'm happy to see it I'd love <laughs> to watch him wrestle <laughs> at Rutgers so I just I'm saying that I can see the other side I the whole transfer – I will say this, though. I hate that transfer rules are slanted so against the players, yet a coach can pick up and leave with no repercussions. And you know, it's not like if a coach chooses to, lo- to leave, he has to sit out a year before he can coach. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he- you know, and a lot of them bring the kids in, and, and they think they're going to play for this coach for four years, you know, most times in football. And, and – all of a sudden, second, third year, the coach is gone, and and you're you're absolutely right. And the coach is the one making millions of dollars. Yeah. Well, let's get back to football and special teams. I know you've written about it this week, and other writers across the web have written about it. What do, what are you thinking about special teams? Start with last year, how it went, and let's talk a little bit about this year. Well, it's tough to really gauge special teams in practice because it's not full on. You know, the guys just kind of run down the field and they practice it, and, and it's not really live like it would be in a game. Um, the kicking game has obviously uh, improved with the addition of Ryan Anderson at punter. I think you'll see, uh, I think you'll see an improvement there because of him. But the coverage unit, uh, Chris Ash is is more positive on them because he's actually going to be able to play. Uh, guys on the two deep, you know, instead last year he had a lot of walk-ons and I mentioned this before that wouldn't normally be playing at all. And he was kind of forced to throw them in there because of the lack of depth. And I think that's an area where you'll see the depth really 
bolster the team is on special teams because you'll see guys playing uh, in place of those walk-ons who probably wouldn't have gotten a shot otherwise last year. So uh, that's another one you really have to wait for the season because, you know, how is it going to be when they run down on kickoffs and, and punts? And uh, that that's one you really can't simulate in practice. Well, let's talk about kicker. I know you have David Bonagura, true freshman, Justin Davidovitz, Minnesota transfer, Andrew Hart. I don't know if – do I have everyone there? Yeah, and uh, Gavin Haggerty, who kicked three field goals in the spring game, isn't even on the on the roster. So um, yeah, I was kind of surprised to see But he that. will be coming back once yeah. the, the team um, – I guess that, that, that's they're only allowed to ca- carry a certain number of players in the summer. Is that the case? Yeah, there's only so many allowed in camp. And, and Chris, I said earlier this week, you know, I can't bring seven kickers into camp. I, I don't know if this, that's the exact number, but, you know, he's saying I don't want to overload on kickers. So, um, you know, kickers, again, that's a, that's a bit of a question mark as well. Um, you have the freshman Justin Davidovich, you know, probably will wind up kicking off. I don't know if he'll win the the kicking job this early. I think that'll be Bonagora, but I think they're confident that Bonagora has a year under his belt and and will be a, a little bit better this year um, than he would than he than he did than how he performed last year. And punter, as I said, with Ryan Anderson, you know, Chris Ash still said competition between him and Michael Citron. He, I don't think he's just going to come out and name a grad transfer like that the starter in the first week after Citron had been the starter last year. But I, I think you'll see an improvement in that area. Um, you know, I don't know that they still have the uh, – they still don't have the guy that can kick that 50-yarder uh, consistently when they're needed. But uh, I think they're looking more for accuracy from those kickers, you know, around 40 yards or so. Uh, I think that should be improved. Bonagora is more healthy this year, and I think he'll be the guy there. Uh, kickoffs remains to be seen. How far can Davidovich boot it? Um, we'll see when, when the season kicks off. But he, he supposedly has the strongest leg of all those guys. All right. Well, let's move to recruiting. And this is going to be our last topic of the day. I admit when I look at each new recruit, I look at the video and I go, ah, pretty good. See three stars for most of them. See a few, you know, quality offers. And I'm happy. Uh, then I saw the piece by Mike Farrell recently. And uh, you know, I it brought me down a little bit. But I mean, he, I think he was fair. He's just talking about how Rutgers is currently outside the top 50 or thereabouts, depending at which service you look. Um, there's a two, about a 2.75 average star ranking because there's a few two stars in there. And um, still in it for a couple four-star guys, uh, namely Tyler Friday and Marcellus Erlington from Don Bosco with a nice you know contact there with Mike Teal being the head coach over there at Don Bosco. But you know, I, I thought I wanted to get your, you know, what you were thinking about this recruiting class, is it underrated, overrated? Do you like the trajectory of the recruiting right now under Chris Ash? And also just what these guys have to do to take that next step. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a decent class. There, there's some good players. There's a few underrated players in there. But again, there's some players that are that are a bit of a gamble in terms of how they're going to develop, which kind of justifies a two-star ranking. Uh, if you can close out with Friday and Erlington, that would be phenomenal. It would really show a step up because uh, I think the staff is going to have to show something this season. Uh, if they come out and, and it's you know a, a repeat of last year, I think they can 
kiss Tyler Friday goodbye. But if they can come out and start showing some signs of progress and continue to recruit him well, that would be a major win for them because they will have recruited a player of that caliber through the season. Last year, if you remember, a lot of the big recruits came before the season, and it was just kind of piecing everything together after the 2-10. and 10. So I, I think that would be a tremendous step forward, uh, him or Erlington. Uh, just to be in it right now, things are trending well, and, and it kind of switched. Um, you know, they stayed with it, and, and recruiting changes. A guy that might not be in it for a team, you know, two months previous, all of a sudden, you know, another class fills up. You know, guys, guys for whatever reason, you know, fall off on, on other people's radars. And, and as long as the coaching staff stays with it, they'll be there till the end. And I think that's what they've done with these guys is just continue to recruit them um, despite how things might be trending. It's These, these cases are, are a marathon and not a sprint. And you just kind of have to put in the work every day and cultivate those relationships. And I think that's one thing that with these Jersey kids that people have to realize that they have to start early and, you know, freshman, sophomore, junior year and, and just stick with it because things can change on a dime. You, you mentioned the coaching changes. You know, a, a top recruit could be in love with the school and then all of a sudden the coach leaves. You know, who's there? That same coach that's been there for the last three years. So I think it's about staying consistent and remembering that it's a marathon, not a sprint, and just putting that work in every single day with recruiting. That's why you see a lot of coaches, too, favor the NFL over college because you don't have to recruit, so you don't have to stay on these kids every day. All you have to worry about is coaching. Um, It's a tough grind for college coaches. All right. I have to ask you this question, though. Given where Rutgers is in terms of they're in the Big Ten, they've been in it for a few years now, They've had time to market to the recruits that they're going to be in the Big Ten, and now that they are in the Big Ten, don't you find that maybe these recent recruiting classes are a little bit disappointing? Because I'm going to back up a little bit. Let's look at 2012, right? Five-star Darius Hamilton, four-star J.J. Denman, four-star Quanzel Lambert, four-star Leonte Carew, four-star Chris Muller. Then you had some high 5.7, so... This is not the star ranking. I'm just saying, Bobby, I know you know this, but everybody else out there, Rivals gives a another numerical ranking. So a four-star starts at 5.8. But right before that, the, the highest three stars are 5.7s. And that year, you had Julian Pinnock-Zodrick as a 5.7. You had Steve Longa as a 5.7. Carlton Agadosi as a 5.7. Um, you know, that was, a, that was a really good class in terms of some players who had – NFL potential, some impact potential on the field is rug, you know, and that was, you know, a few years back. And I don't, I don't see the growth right now. We could say that some of these Rutgers players incoming for the last year and this year are underrated and they, they very well may be. I know you have some guys from New York and New York often gets overlooked by the services, but don't you think Rutgers should take that next step soon? If they could do it in 2012, shouldn't they be doing it now? Well, you, you missed a big part of it. The, the flood factor came in there, and and it's not so much Rutgers in the Big Ten. It's what the coaches do in recruiting. And 
that was all Shiano's work um, in 2012. He recruited all those guys from beginning to end. Then you have the next regime come in and just made a mess of everything. So Ash is cleaning up the mess now. Um, I think that factor really weighs in heavily as far as should they be able to recruit so many guys in the Big Ten and or being in the Big Ten. I, I think that disaster kind of nullifies all the progress that was made up until that point. It's almost like let's wash it away and start over again. So that's what you're seeing now with uh, Coach Ash. Oh, man. I, I hope they take that next step. Mm-hmm. So close in 2012. Now, let's end this on a positive note. Stevie Scott, running back, New York, three-star, just committed to Rutgers this week. His recruiter was Jay Neiman, had some great things to say about him. Stevie Scott was recruited also by Boston College, Duke, Connecticut, Minnesota, Pittsburgh, Syracuse, Purdue. Um, looks like a pretty good player on tape. What do you think? You know, a big, powerful back, um, a guy who can move. Rutgers really liked him from the beginning. He was high on their boards. They were recruiting these other guys, but Scott was always, you know, he was right up there with uh, Isaiah Pacheco. Um, so he was their who, guy. By the way, I remember you were so excited about Pacheco earlier. Mm-hmm. So three-star player, but I guess underrated in your book? Oh, yeah. I think he was. I told you the first time I saw him at that camp, that kid was, you know, I, I thought he was going to be a phenomenal player. I, I think he's a four-star from the beginning. Um, you know, even when I saw him, some schools were saying cornerback. I said, this kid looks like a running back to me. Um, I still think he's uh, a better recruit than, than Stevie Scott. Nothing to take away from Stevie Scott. But I, I think that tandem is very good. That's that's one of the better tandems I've seen, you know, at the running back position at Rutgers in the same year. I I can't really remember another one. Uh, forgive me if I forgot anybody, but I don't remember a year when they had two running backs of that caliber. So um, I, I think it's a great get, and I, I think they stayed with it. They wanted their guy, and um, they, they, it's all about consistency and recruiting and relationships, and they stayed with it. And, and that's, that's a victory for them to, to beat a lot of those other schools they were up against, and, and I think that combination is, is going to be really exciting to watch in the future. It even made for some good message board drama on our free football board yesterday. A Syracuse fan came in and mixed it up with everyone, and I had to delete about 75 posts because everything got a little bit nasty. But, you know, as much as I – I actually wish I didn't delete it because I love a little fan-to-fan banter more than some of our more conservative message board users. But I like that when you have those rivalries across borders and a recruit like this gets everyone's juices flowing. Yeah, and, you know, that's part of the fun of being on the message board, being able to banter back like that, and and you'll always have people saying this, that, and the other thing. It's all in good fun. Yeah, I I, I guess it got me excited for the days of even playing Syracuse. I know maybe many of the fans don't really care, but if I had my preference and you had an unlimited amount of games on the season, I'd still play UConn, I'd play Syracuse, I'd play Boston College, throw in Pittsburgh in there. Get everybody excited about Northeast football, but obviously you can't do it. Yeah, Limited I, schedule. And I think with just three out-of-conference games and having such a tough schedule, it's better off stick scheduling Pittsburgh State instead of Pittsburgh. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Still would be fun, though. Oh, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Well, anyway, Bobby, we're going to end it. Before we go, though, I want to invite everyone, if you are not a premium subscriber to ScarletNation.com, I really hope you choose to sign up so you can hang out with us on the, on the roundtable message board, read all the content on the main page of the uh, main page of the site, but really meet Bobby, meet Richie, meet Sean, meet myself on the staff. All of us are on that roundtable message board, reading every day, answering questions, and I think it's a great experience, a great way to 
follow the team, and just be part of the progress throughout the year. I also want you to sign up for our newsletter. The link is on the front page of the site. And if you're possible, if you're listening to us through iTunes, please give us a review. Um, last I checked, we didn't have any yet. We're a new podcast. But from what I understand, the more positive reviews you get, the higher up you go in the search rankings there. And that would be great. We'd greatly appreciate it. So on behalf of Bobby Darren and myself, I can't wait to talk to you all next week. Enjoy the weekend, folks.